Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing. How can I praise you enough? How can I praise you enough? You are the
outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else compares. You unravel me with the melody. Surround me with a song. Of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. I'm no child of God From my mother's womb You have chosen me Your love has called my name I've been born again to your family your blood flows through my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no
There's no greater love than yours. Good morning, Living Water. I am sure glad to be here today. I hope you are as well. It's been a, one of those crazy weeks for me, very busy. Um, and so I was looking forward to Sunday morning to be able to come here and worship with you, to worship our worthy God, amen? Be able to hear from his word and be challenged in his word. I, I hope that we all come to his house regularly with that anticipation that we're not just doing this to fill a space or we're not doing it because it's an obligation, but we do it because we want to be here. We want to meet with our God. We want to worship our God and we want to hear from him through his word. And so I'm excited to start uh, this new series today. And I want to begin by, uh, as David asked you to turn to the book of Esther. Um, and I want to start with this, uh, just this thought. The older I get, the more aware I am of the fact that um, God's got a plan. Um, especially in my own life, I, I consider that sometimes. And I ask the question, God, why am I here? Why am I the pastor of Living Water? There's plenty of other people that could do a great job at this. Why? Why me? But I know that 2020, or they say hindsight says hindsight is 2020. I know I can look backwards, and I can see God's hand in just about every step of my life along the way. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you've gone through situations in life, and you may not have understand or stood what was going on at the time. But from this perspective, looking back, you can just kind of see how God was with you through it, or He guided you through it, or He opened or closed that door. How many believe um, in divine providence? All right, that's a couple of you. Hopefully by the end of this, you'll know 
that we serve a God that is absolutely involved in the affairs of mankind. Our God is a powerful God, and he is actively involved in his creation, that he is sovereign over all a creation. There's nothing too difficult for God. God is big into, um, intricately involved, if you will, into our creation, divine uh, providence. And so here's, that's only half of a truth. I want to share the second half, and that's kind of the theme of this whole series um, in a moment. But if we just stop there with divine providence, we say, all right, we believe that God is involved in the affairs of man. We believe that God is sovereign over his creation. We believe he has a hand in everything that's going on, even sometimes when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. We just understand a big picture that God's in control. If we stop there, what might happen is we treat it like a spectator sport. You know, like we do a lot of the sports that we go to, we, the fans, go sit in the stadium and we watch the players or the actors on the field do the work and, and, and we, you know, cheer them on. And we might do that with God. God, you're sovereign, you're in control, you're over all things. And so go God, go God. There's no one as great as you. I'm going to sit back here and I'm going to watch you do what only you can do. Woo! Sounds fun, doesn't it? But that's only half of it. The other half of this truth that I, me- I really want us to get today is this. Not only is God sovereign over all of his creation, not only is it he in charge in the affairs of man, he uses mankind in the unfolding of his plan. Just like God's opened doors for me in my past, I had to take a step through those doors. I had to say yes a few times. I had to say no a few times. God was involved in my life, but he used me also in the process. And scripture is filled with many examples. Let me give you just a few uh, briefly, just showing how God uses humans to carry out his plan for all of his creation. You remember a man named Noah? Well, let's, let's go back further than that. Let's go to Adam and Eve. God created all the earth. He created human beings. He put Adam and Eve in a perfect garden. And God's plan was to just fill the earth with people that he could love on and have a covenant relationship with them. But he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So God had a plan, but he's going to use them to procreate the earth, right? Well, we know sin came into the world and sin grew and it became more and more wicked and not long after that, God says, I'm going to destroy all of creation and the earth because the wickedness is so great. God says, I'm about to act, I'm about to destroy the earth, but Noah, I want you to build a boat. Noah, I want you to build an ark. And so Noah went to work building an ark, never heard of a flood, never saw the rains like that, and so he just, in obedience, stepped out. God used him and his plan. And later, a man named Abraham came on the scene. You remember Abraham, God made a promise to him, I'm going I'm to bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. Now, I want you to leave your home country, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. I don't know if you're like me, but I want to know where I'm going before I stop, start on the journey. Um, to Abraham, he said, hey, just go to the place that I'm going to show you. God's going to reveal it along the way, but Abraham had to take a step. Amen? So you had God telling Abraham what he's going to do. He sends Abraham along the way. We studied last year this character called Joseph, and we saw how God intricately worked throughout Joseph's life because ahead of time God knew that there would be a famine, and so he allows Joseph to be sold into slavery. He may not have understood what was going on at the moment. We don't always understand, but we just see God's hand working through the life of Joseph, and he gets to the end of his life, and he's the most powerful person next to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, and there's a great famine, and all the children of Israel come to um, Egypt so that God can provide for them. God did that. 
God was involved in his creation, and he used Joseph to prepare the way. And so the children of Israel are now living um, in Egypt, and God's taking care of them. And then the patriarchs die off, and a, a new Pharaoh rises to power that doesn't know uh, that they're God's people and seen the miraculous things that God did. And so then they begin to be treated horribly. They were slaves uh, in Egypt. And then God says, I hear the cries of my people, and I'm going to act. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to rescue them from slavery. Moses. Go. You go be my mouthpiece or my representative before the Pharaoh. Moses, you, you, you remember Moses. Um, he, he was really intimidated. He had a stuttering problem. And, and God used Moses in a great way to um, just to, to do all that he had planned for the children of Israel. And over and over and over throughout Scripture. And that's just the first two books of a 66 collection of books that we call the Bible. How many know God is involved in his creation? But how many also know God uses people? He uses people in a big way. And we could go and talk about judges, how God raised up judges to deliver people, to guide them, kings, random nobodies, and even misfits throughout Scripture that God used in a powerful way. If you don't get anything else I say today, I want you to get this. And in fact, I'll have you repeat it after me. God is in control. Let's say that. Now, do you believe that? So God is in control, but the second part of that is, and say it with me, God uses people. God uses people. So if you leave today and you're like, I don't know what we talked about, but I know this, God's in control and God uses people. I'll be okay with that. Because that's the truth that we all need to know today. God is in control and God uses people. And this story of Esther um, is a beautiful display of that. And so I wish we had time to go through the entire book just going through. There's so much in here. And I'll just tell you this, before we even dig into it, the book of Esther never mentions God one time. Ten chapters in this book of Esther, God's not not mentioned, but to the trained reader, to the the one that's in the know, we see God's fingerprints all throughout the story in, in Esther. Amen? And so in her story, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, I'm going to have you pick up with me in chapter 4, verse 13. Um, it's kind of a pivotal moment in her life. <clears throat> but just to give you some background... Um, where are we at in the time, uh, the, the grand scheme of things? You know, you have the Exodus where the children of Israel are miraculously brought out of Egypt uh, through that leader, Moses. And then we have the conquest. That is when they, they go take over the promised land. Shortly after that, they have a season of judges where the, the judge, they didn't have kings at the time. So they had these random judges that would just lead the people. God was their God, and they had these judges that would just guide them and lead them. And then eventually they asked for a king because they wanted to be like the other nations around them. We want, we want a king. And God said that what they were asking for was a wicked thing. And, um, but he gave them what they wanted and he gave them Saul. So we have that kingdom era where you have Saul and David and Solomon. And for a while things were great. It was a united kingdom. But then soon it was divided and you had north and south, Israel and Judah. And because of their disobedience, God told them that they were going to go into exile. They're going to be sent to time out, if you will, uh, for a while, for 70 years. And so the Assyrians came, and they invaded the northern tribe of Israel. And shortly after that, a Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar, you remember that name in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he conquers the Assyrians, and then he conquers Judah, and he carries off a lot of Jews into captivity, some of which are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story? So this is in 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar conquers and takes these people into um, captivity. So they're in captivity for 70 years, and then these other group of people, the Persians, 
come on the scene, and they, they knock out Babylon and Assyria, and then they just take over the whole area. Um, it's called Cyrus the Great. He was a great king, and he had compassion on the children of Israel and allowed them to go back to their home country to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls. Uh, you remember that story? So Ezra and Nehemiah lead the way, and they go back to Israel to rebuild the walls, but not everyone went back. Some of them stayed in their captive country. So Babylon, uh, or excuse me, this Persia area is modern-day Iran. So many Jews are still in Iran at the time of Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great, uh, his son took over, Darius the Great, and after that, um, Xerxes is the guy that we'll read about in this story, takes over in 486 B.C. And then shortly after that, about seven years later, in 479, is the setting of this story of Queen Esther, when she is made queen. So chapter one begins with this huge war summit. Six months, Xerxes has this war summit. It's like a celebration. They had conquered many other provinces, and they were sure that they were going to conquer more. And so they're about to just go out and and have this huge um, feast on other countries and just conquer them. And they had a six-month war summit. And after that war summit was over, they had a seven-day feast And they invited everybody, great and poor, everybody's going to come to this banquet. And there's a lot of liquor. I mean, they're getting drunk. They're just enjoying themselves big time. And on the seventh day of this feast, whenever the king was lit, he was wasted, he decided it would be a great idea to bring the queen in and have her prance around in front of all of his buddies. So go get Queen Vashti and tell her to come in here. I want all my guys to see how beautiful she is. And you know the story, Queen Vashti had a banquet going on at the same time, and she just simply said, no. I'm not going to do it. Well, that's a problem when you're the king. You tell somebody what to do, isn't it? So the, the, the people around him, his advisors said, hey, we can't have this. King Xerxes, if, if the wife, if the, the queen is denying the king when he demands something of her, then it won't be long before everybody in the whole region will start having the same problem. And women are going to be out of control telling their men what's up. We can't. Wait a minute. No, it's all making sense now. I'm just playing. So... He says, we can't have this. We have to do something. And so you have to make an example of Queen Vashti. And so he banishes Queen Vashti. He gets rid of the the queen. Um, He was kind of a hothead. And so he gets rid of her. Um, And in the middle of all these war campaigns, some time passes. um, And then um, uh, a little later on, it talks about, you know, they had this idea to bring another queen on the scene. Hey, we need a new queen. So here's what we need to do, and this, this sounds like a great idea, Xerxes, and so they uh, encouraged him to grab all of the eligible bachelorettes in the area. Remember, um, and I got a map up here, look how big this, uh, this, this place was, it goes all the way over to Ethiopia, south of Egypt, and all the way back over here, uh, which is all Iran, and so this is a huge area. Scholars believe there are probably in the estimation of 50 million people there, about 25 million women, there's a lot to choose from. But Josephus, uh, the church historian, the Jewish historian, said uh, that they believe there were about 400 uh, young virgins that were taken to uh, the king for him to sample and choose from those 400 a new queen. And so it's here where two new um, characters are introduced to the story, Esther and this man named Mordecai. Mordecai was her older cousin. Esther's parents died at a young age, and so Mordecai became her caretaker, Um, and so he was responsible for her. He was protecting her in this foreign land. And so as time would go on, they would get all these women together, and they'd give them one year. Ladies, how would you like this? One year um, to get ready. That's a long time, isn't it? 
My wife says just a minute, and it's usually like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So for a whole year to get ready, um, that's pretty impressive. So they had one whole year, this beautification process, and then they were presented one by one to the king. And so it became Esther's turn to go to the king. And it says in chapter 2, that evening she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Now, what they don't know and what they kept hidden for quite some time is Esther was a Jew. Mordecai was a Jew. They're in modern-day Iran, and they knew that there was heavy persecution and genocide in that area, and so they just wanted to keep this on the, the down low. Isn't it crazy how even today Iran hates the Jews? But that's what you see here, and so Esther is chosen, she goes to the king, in chapter 3 we see this plot begin to unveil, and I would encourage you, just go home and read the story, because it's really cool. Read the story, and you see God's providence in all of this, and so I want you to notice that God was, before any catastrophe or any crisis was happening, he was positioning Esther to put her in a place of power so that he could use that later. God's in control of the affairs of man, but God uses humans, amen? So uh, this man named Haman comes on the scene, Haman the Agagite, and and I'll kind of cover on that maybe next week, Uh, but he was a a wicked man, and um, he was given a position of authority, and it was told that anytime he comes around, everybody's to bow to him out of respect. Well, Mordecai wouldn't do it, and there's a little bit more backstory to that, which I'll hopefully get into next week, but Mordecai would not bow to Haman, and this hacked off Haman. Later, he finds out that, that Mordecai is actually a Jew, and there's this rival, a 500-plus-year rival between uh, this, this descendant of King Agag and um, Mordecai, and so there, there's some, some stuff there, bad blood. He finds out he's a Jew, and now it says, um, talking about Haman, he says he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So I'm ticked off at Mordecai because he won't bow before me, but it ain't enough just to punish him. Instead, it says he looked for a way to destroy all, say all, all the Jews throughout the empire, the entire empire of Xerxes. Remember the map, the entire um, perimeter that, that he took over was huge all the way back even to Jerusalem. They had that control. And so if this thing goes through, we're talking mass extermination of the Jews, mass genocide. So he goes to the king with this false premise, hey, these Jews are here among us, they don't do things like we do, um, and, and, and really they're going to be a problem, so we need to get rid of them. King Xerxes says, sounds like a good idea to me, gives him the authority, and he sends out this edict, and they cast lots, kind of like drawing straws. They, when would be a good time to, to take this genocide, I mean, to put it into pl- to practice or to put it into action? A one-day slaughter fest, if you will. When is a good day to do this? And so they cast lots, and they decided that the following year, uh, March the 7th, would be the day. And so they set out this decree that went all across the land that every Jew, young, old, women, men, doesn't matter. If you're a Jew, you die on March the 7th. So as you can imagine, there was great hysteria in that region. The Jews found this out, and they read the decree, and they're like, what are we going to do? There's fasting, and, and they're crying out to God. And Mordecai, when he heard, he, he fasted, and he, he ripped his clothes, and he just would not be comforted. And finally, he gets word to, or I guess um, Esther sees him like he is and says, what's going on with Mordecai? And, he, and she sends one of the eunuchs to ask him, what's going on? And so he kind of fills her in. She's a queen now, right? 
He, he, he fills her in on what's going on. And he says, listen, they're, they're trying to exterminate. They're trying to kill all of us. You've got to do something, Esther. You've got to do something. See, God uses people. God works in our, 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 our lives. He's just involved, but he uses people. And we would see Esther have an opportunity to be used uh, by God. And so Mordecai asked this huge request, and if you look at what she said, when he said that, um, she said, basically, and don't you know that you can't go before the king without an invitation because to do that is a death sentence? I mean, think about what he did to Queen Vashti. He kicked her out for just saying no. What's he going to do if someone comes into his presence without being invited into his presence? I can't do that. She had a, a personal dilemma. She knew that it was going to cost her big time if she, that she could die as a result of going to the king on behalf of Mordecai and the rest of the Jews. And so Mordecai he gives this dispatch to her, and he directed her to go to the king and cry for mercy. Um, and it says, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who peers, appears before the king uh, in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. I have not even seen the king. And this is a very dangerous thing you're asking me for. And this is the, the pivotal moment in her life uh, that I love, and this is a passage that's been resonating in my head for the past month. Listen to what Mordecai says. Mordecai sends his reply to Esther, and he says, Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. You're a Jew, Esther. And this edict that's going out all across the province includes you. So don't think that just because you're in the palace that you're going to get an exemption. Verse 14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, Listen to his words. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise. See, Mordecai understood that God was involved in the affairs of man. Mordecai understood that God was a covenant God, and he had made promises to Israel that he would lead them, he would guide them, he would protect them. And so he knew that he knew that he knew that if Esther didn't do it, God would use someone else. He says, don't think that you're exempt. If you keep quiet at a time like this, here's what we know. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will come. God's going to do it. But you and your relatives will die. I mean, as a result of this edict, you're going to pay for it. So you're going to die anyways. And listen to what he says. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. How many of you heard that phrase before, for such a time as this? That's the, the, the main verse in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. And so what you see is God providentially, before crisis, putting a woman in a position so that later he could utilize her on behalf of the children of Israel. And so she has a personal dilemma. She has a choice to make. And can I just tell you that sometimes when God uses people, it's not easy what he asks us to do. Sometimes it'll cause you some heartache or some pain. Sometimes it could be a little risky for her. It's potentially going to cost her her life. To go back and look at our examples earlier, Noah, don't you know he was ridiculed for building an oak, and, I mean a boat or an ark in a place that no one had ever seen a flood before? <laughs> What's that, you moron? What are you doing? It cost him something. Abraham was a nomad. He didn't have a place to lay his head for a long time as he's making his way to where God was going to show him. Joseph was sold to slavery, and he would go through a lot of trials on his way to his destiny. Moses 
was going to appear before the, the most powerful man in all of Egypt and say, say uh, you know those, those Jews that you've got and that are doing all the slave labor for you? Um, God told me to tell you to let them go. And I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah, yeah you are. God, God said you're going to do it. And so he goes back and forth over and over and over again to Pharaoh. Sometimes when we are used by God, it's not an easy task but we just need to know that God's involved in the affairs of man, God's in control, and God uses people all throughout Scripture. And we see it in this book of Esther. And as I said earlier, God's word, God's name is not mentioned at all. And there's a truth here that I think we need to see. Even though we don't think God is around and working, we know, we know that he is. Amen? How many of you had something like that in your life? You're like, man, I just don't know, where, where's God in a time like this? Why am I going through this? Why would he allow this? And we just scratch our heads and like, what's going on? We just need to know that we know that we know. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, God is in control, complete control. And he's sovereign. And so was the case with the story of Esther. So Esther's response after he says, who knows, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Queen Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. I need y'all to go pray. I need you to fast and go before the Lord on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Don't you know that struggle was very intense for Esther, those three days? Waiting, anticipating, worrying, being fearful for her life. But listen to her resolve. She says, and then after the three days of you praying for me, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I die, or if I must die, I must die. If I must perish, I perish. She was resolved, and so um, I, I'm not going to go through the rest of the story. Just to highlight, um, you know, Haman comes up with a plot to kill Mordecai. That's flipped around. Mordecai actually is elevated, and, and Haman dies, and the Israelites are saved. And we'll get into some of that hopefully the next few weeks. But I didn't want to miss the big idea, and as I said earlier, if you don't get anything else I'll say today, you need to see that it is evident throughout all of Scripture that God is in control and God uses people. God is in control and God uses people, imperfect people, people who've made mistakes in their past. One of my favorite messages is God uses broken people. I'm a broken people. And God uses Broken people. He, he uses nobodies. Um, Esther was a Jew. She was just one of 25,000 women at the beginning and then one of 400. Esther is one in 400, and God providentially put her into a very powerful position. Can you see God working in this? And so when the time of crisis comes, who better to go before the king than somebody whose heart is for her people and to take that chance and say, if I perish, I perish, I got to go, and I got to step up for such a time as this. And so here, here's my, I want to bring it around. If it's true that God is in control, if it's true that God is involved in the affairs of mankind, and if it is true that God uses people, here's a question for you. That's the title of the message. What's your role? Have you ever asked that question? God, why am I here? Why am I here today in, in the year 2020? Of all time, we just got out of a series on end times, eschatology, the end, and I've said that there has never been a generation closer to the return of Christ than the one that's here right now. Have you ever thought, God, why me? Why now? Why here? What's my role? What, what is my position in your story, his story? 
What is it that I should do? If God's in control and God uses people, what's your role? Why are you here? And more importantly, are you available? You might, say, you might look at it and transition to where we're at today and see a world that is chaotic. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that. And just know there's a lot of crazy going on. And if we buy into the first half of that truth that God is in control and we just sit back and go, God, do something. God, step in, save the day. I mean, just send hail from heaven like in the old days. I mean, whatever we do, just God, do something. And then we have to realize that God, maybe he wants to use you and he wants to use me because God is in the business of working through people to accomplish his plan. So the question is, what's our role? What does he want from us in our world today? I think of so many things that come to my mind in different ways that we can make a difference. But let me give you this verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It says, so be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools. I mean, there's, there's a lot of fools running around today just kind of doing whatever feels good, whatever they think they want to do. He says, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. We're to walk in wisdom, right? He says, make the most of every opportunity. So every one of us has an opportunity in life. Some are going to be huge. Some are going to be small, seemingly insignificant. But everything that we have in this life is an opportunity. If God's given us breath in our lungs, we're here on purpose. In fact, some of you are in church today. You're at Living Water today on purpose. God has a divine plan. Do you believe that? It's no accident that we're here today. It says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. How many of you agree that we're living in some evil days? And we're supposed to make every opportunity in the midst of this. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I would add, then do it. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What does this all mean to me? How do we take a story that's almost 2,500 years old and, and bring it into our world today? It's like, what does this mean and it's very simply, it's this, God doesn't change. Malachi says, I am the Lord God, I do not change. I mean, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's still on the throne, and if he still loves his people, and if he's still intricately involved in the affairs of man, and if he still uses people, then I have to believe that he wants to use us too. Amen? So what's your role? What is it that God's calling you to do? And you may say, Shane, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do. And I would say uh, every opportunity, look for the opportunities. Ask God, what do you want me to do in this situation? I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. What could I possibly do? <laughs> Raise the next Billy Graham. Don't underestimate what God has given you. That's a, one of the most powerful positions in all the earth is a mom, you know, leading this child into their destiny. At school, at work, what's my, what's my role? Be the salt, be the light, be that person of influence. He's called us to make a difference, amen? I think sometimes people are approaching, they're like, hey, have you ever considered running from the school board? Have you ever considered this? Is that God opening a door? Is that opportunity knocking? Is that God saying, hey, I'm opening this door for you. I want you there. I'm not, I'm not in anybody. I don't know anything. Well, if the position opens, have you ever considered open doors and being in places of influence? I believe that Christians need to fill those spots. Amen. All you got to do is look at around our school systems, I'm not trashing them, but there's a lot of stuff going on that we wish we could fix. Amen. And we're here on the earth to make a difference, to influence. So open doors, politics. Woo! 
It's a nasty thing to get into today, but I think we need some believers in those positions making changes in our country today. What's your role? You see people all, all the time on TV stepping up, these nobodies. You're like, where did they come from? But you hear them talking, you're like, yes, that's what we need in Washington. Yes, those are the people that we need making a huge difference. But let's don't put it all on them. Let us see our role as well because God is involved, but God uses you and he uses me. So I would leave you with this. Be the change. You, you find an area and you have an opportunity to speak up and use your voice. Speak up and use your voice. Do it in love. I need to throw that one out there. Sometimes we can get harsh as Christians, right? But speak truth into an evil world today. We need to use our voices. We need to use our influences to, to, to change our culture around us. And we can make a difference. God can do it through us. But you've got to understand how important it is that you get in the game, if you will. I'll tell you this, it won't always be easy. There are going to be times where you're going to get ridiculed. There will be times when you'll be mocked, made fun of, maybe even worse. But I just happen to believe that as God's track record throughout all Scripture shows us, it's totally worth it in the end. I don't know what God's got planned for the next 20 years of America. I hope we're here. Excuse me, I really don't really hope we're not here. I'm ready to go see Jesus right now. But if we are here, I don't know what... His, his plan is, and there's some, some stuff going on. We're like, God, why? God uses it all. Romans says that he causes all things to work together for good. All things. Say all things. Even the ugly stuff in our lives, even the Judases are used for a purpose and for a reason. So God uses all things. It doesn't cause all the things, but he uses them for our benefit. Amen? And so who knows, perhaps God has placed you and me right here, right now, Canyon, Texas, living water, in this season of our country's life for such a time as this. Have you ever considered that? You ever wondered, what's my role in all this, God? What do you want me to do? I I believe that he has. And I believe he's looking for people who, who get it. And I believe he's looking for people who will stand up in boldness and say, all right, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. Here I am. I never for a moment thought I would be pastor in a church like Living Water. I was supposed to be in Nashville. For those of you that remember my story, I'm singing country songs, music from the stage. And, but God had a different plan. And throughout all of my history, I look back, and there's times I'm going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why Canyon, Texas? Why liberal Kansas? Why back to Canyon, Texas? And I look back with perfect 2020 eyesight, and I see his hand, and every bit of it, he opened a door, he closed the door, he, he, he compelled me to move, like literally take steps, and so together, God directing the affairs, and me uh, being obedient, took these steps, and here I am today, and I still wonder, God, why, why me, why now, <laughs> are we done yet, I need a break, but I simply just want there's to, a, there's a mantra, there's a little phrase that David will understand it, and I will, because it was a lady in liberal where we both served at, who said this regularly, and uh, it just, it was powerful to me. It caught me off guard one time when she said it. Um, she said, Shane, God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Remember that? God's waiting on the other side of your obedience. What, he, what she's saying is, God's just waiting for you to take a step. And he's on the other side of it already, ready to move, ready to act. He's just waiting for you to get in the game. He's waiting for you to take a step of obedience. Some of us need to take that step of obedience. Recognizing that God's in control, but he uses us. 
Another famous, a favorite quote of mine that I discovered years ago that says, where the finger of God points, the hand of God provides the way. I love that. Because God says, go, God will provide a way to make it all possible, make it all happen. Let me close with this course of this song that came out in the late 90s, uh, Wayne Watson, for such a time as this. It says, for such a time as this, I was placed upon the earth to hear the voice of God and do his will. Whatever it is, for such a time as this. For now and all the days he gives, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm his for such a time as this. God is in control. God uses people. What's your role? And I'll leave that to you, between you and God. As you say, God, what's my role in all this? I'm here for a purpose. It's so much more than just raising kids, making money, you know, working on that career. There's a purpose for my life. What is it, God? What do you need from me? What do you want me to do? If you're waiting on the other side of my obedience, what is my step of obedience today? Amen? For such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for just your revelation throughout all of Scripture. And we could go on and on and on of the examples in Scripture of your sovereignty. The examples of your divine providence that you are absolutely involved in your creation, even when it doesn't feel like you're involved. We just know that to be truth today. And Father, we do acknowledge and we see also in those same examples that you use people throughout all history, even way back at the very beginning in Adam and Eve. And you don't choose the ones that are absolutely qualified or the best. You, you pick some really doozies throughout history, God. I, I'm reminded of Rahab the harlot. I'm reminded of Peter who denied you three times. I'm reminded of Paul who was a persecutor of the church. Lord, you don't choose the, the perfect people, the, the squeaky clean people to do your will, but you choose people. Lord, and you give them a, a role to play in your unveiling of history and, uh, Lord, your will. And so I pray that we would take that personal and see that you don't change, that you're the same, and to ask ourselves the question, what's our role? What's my role? God, for me, I do believe that for now, for such a time as this, I'm called to pastor this great church. And, God, that's a humbling thing to think about. Father, I just continue to walk in that obedience, and, and I get it in my life, and I just I hope and I pray that everybody in the room could look at themselves through the same lens and knowing that we're here. Why are we here? With all the stuff going on in the world, what is our role? How big is our role? Where does it start? Is it just in the home? Is it in the school? Is it stepping up? Is it stepping out? God, is it waiting for you to open a door and stepping out in confidence and bravery and just seeing what you might do through us because we are absolutely convinced that you are a powerful God, that you use all things, and you work them all together for our good. So God, would you help us to be an obedient people? Would you help us to be willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me to, to, to look at everything that goes on in our life as an opportunity that you put in front of us, and not to consider anything a coincidence, but perhaps you have put us there in that situation for a, a, a time and a purpose and a plan. Father, we just thank you for being an amazing God. Thank you that you'll love us enough that you're willing to walk along with us in this journey and to guide us and 
to even use us. Lord, I would have picked different people. <laughs> Father, you're so awesome. And at the end, we can't give glory to ourselves, but we have to put it right back on you and how amazing and how great and how wonderful and powerful and sovereign you are. So Father, for those that are in the room that have not taken that first step of just saying yes to your offer of salvation, I pray that today would be the day they trust you. And Lord, for every one of us that we would see what our role is and what you would have us do. Father, would you give us conviction in this area? Would you see... Help us to see that the time is now, the season is ripe for your church to be the church, for us to shine that light brighter than ever before, for that salt um, to be influential in our, our culture and our communities. Lord, would you please help us to rise um, to the occasion, Lord, for your honor and for your glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.